0: What happened earlier is my iPad was not turned on. I try to turn it off sometimes so it resets, and then it wasn't on, and stresses me out. I used to get so stressed, I'm I'm here almost 20 years now, but I used to get so stressed out about my notes and my sermon and all this. During singing, I wouldn't put my Bible down for fear somebody might take it, because I had to have my notes, and it was like, if I didn't have those notes, I was so in trouble, it wasn't even funny. It reminds me of a story I heard uh, about R.C. Sproul. And RC Sproul, as I remember the story, uh was showing up at Grace Community Church in Southern California for a Sunday night service. And so there'll be like, I don't know, three, four thousand people there, flights late, service has already started, and R. C. walks in the back of the church, churches the service has started, and and he sees a friend of his named Don. I think it was Don Kissler, and he said, uh, Hey Don. He's like, Yeah, R. C. What should I preach on? And they're like, I'll win for him. And he's like, you know, preach on the holiness of God. And, and so then R.C. starts walking down the aisle. And he, w- he turns back around and he goes, hey, Don. Yeah, R.C.? You got a Bible? <laughs> so, and then as the story goes, I can't remember who told the story, if it was John MacArthur or who. that Then R.C. stood up there and preached, you know, the best sermon you've ever heard in your life on the holiness of God. So I am going to use my notes. It won't be the best sermon you've ever heard. Um, but I will use my notes because... It's good to stick to the notes. We should pray again. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the encouragement that comes from even hearing the truth in music and being led in corporate worship. We're grateful for this and the privilege that's ours. We're thankful for this church, Uh, as imperfect as we are. We're thankful that we're not always looking for the next big thing. Uh, We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is everything. And it's so good to be reminded of His promises and so good to know that He's given us His Spirit and He is with us through His Spirit as well. Encourage us as we hear more about Jesus, Uh, allow us to see Him for who He really is and to worship Him as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So whether it's the movies or in your life, when tragedy strikes, whether it's Facing death or extreme suffering or illness. When tragedy strikes, it's common for you to hear someone say, It's going to be okay. Well-meaning people. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And how many movies have we seen where, and then the person dies? And it's not okay. So what the person told them, even though they meant to be comforting them, actually wasn't true. Is that okay? Maybe that's too complicated of a question early on a Sunday morning. We want to show compassion. We want to show kindness. But things might not be okay. And is it okay to tell people things are going to be okay when they're not going to be okay? It's kind of interesting at the very height of Israel's debauchery. Maybe that's a contradiction. At the very lowest point in their spiritual life, the nation of Israel, according to the book of Jeremiah, had spiritual leaders who would say to the people, peace, peace. Then it says in Jeremiah 6 and in Jeremiah 8, I think, where there is no peace. Everything's going to be okay. God is happy. You're okay. I'm okay. It's nice to be nice. Isn't that nice? Peace, peace, where there is no peace. So not only was it not true, but it wasn't all right. In fact, it's used as an example of something that is horrific and terrible. Especially when we're relating to God and you tell people things are okay, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's the worst kind of lying. It's the worst kind of deception. God is not pleased with it at all. I just read the opening chapters of Jeremiah yesterday, and in one sense I'm thinking, I should preach this. In another sense I'm thinking, I would never preach this. I mean, at the low, 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 low point, peace, peace. Well, this morning we're not going to be at the low, low, low point. But what we are going to do is hear from the ultimate prophet more than a prophet prophet priest and king his name is jesus and what's so interesting is he's the ultimate prophet who says peace peace because there is peace and he himself the bible says is our peace because of what he does what he accomplishes successfully he can say not just to make people feel better but it makes them feel better peace, peace because there is peace ultimately because he secures our peace with God everything's going to be okay (laughs) because it is it's amazing We haven't even opened our Bibles yet, and I'm excited. This is great. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 20. 20th chapter of John. This is post-resurrection, or excuse me, post-crucifixion. Then he's been raised from the dead, so this is after the resurrection. Okay, I guess post-resurrection is okay. We're going to look at the second part of John chapter 20. This is what Jesus said he was going to do. This is what he was born to do. This is what was an absolute certainty to happen. He was going to be raised from the dead because he's the sinless one, he's the righteous one, and he was going to secure our peace with God ultimately. And this morning we're in John 20, and we're going to look at verses 19 to 31, if we can get that far. Verse 19 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... fear of the Jews, they just went to absolute crazy lengths of dishonesty to get Jesus crucified, and they got it done. Good to be afraid of the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders at this point in time. And they belong to Jesus, they're his disciples, so they lock the doors, and they're afraid of the Jews, and then read those helpful words at the end of that verse, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Fear, right? Legitimate fear. They hear Jesus, peace be with you, and then they're glad. And I I wonder if if John is being a little bit um, on purpose Simple. A purposeful understatement. They're glad. Yeah, I'll bet they were glad. Right? Glad on different levels, though. Glad they're afraid of the Jews because they've got serious power. They've gone from mourning and weeping, seeing Jesus crucified horrifically, watching it happen, even if it was from afar by some who were cowardice. And now Jesus double locked doors, maybe external door and door room lock, Jesus is there, oh, the crucified Jesus, the dead and buried jesus, standing i 'm glad, and he just walked through the walls and he 's for us and with us i 'm glad i'm really glad they 're really glad, glad on all kinds of levels, maybe it 's not an an understatement I mean. Think about all they've gone through as well. By now, who knows how little sleep you've gotten. And You've gone through all of this ups and downs and tumultuous kinds of things happening and now finally there He is in a good ways. I'm glad. It's true. It's really true. We can rest in Him. Peace be with you. What might that entail? It's my question for you. What might peace be with you entail? Well, it might entail comfort because it, it gets them to hear Jesus' voice. Ah, it's Jesus saying shalom in effect. Peace. Even though he, it's not recorded, he uses that word. That's the idea. It's peace. Common greeting. Common greeting even now peace. They hear His voice. Oh, it's Him. They're comforted. They're glad. But then we can even look a little bit deeper and think about it. Okay, He says, peace be with you. Don't have to be afraid anymore. Don't have to be afraid of the Jews. I'm the crucified, dead one, and I'm standing here. It's going to be okay. Maybe it was to alleviate some of their guilt because they've been less than faithful and he's not angry with them. He's saying, peace be with you. It's okay. But on a much larger larger level, it would be good for us to consider how loaded this really is. It really captures the reality of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, right? Peace be with you. Not in the sense of everything's going to be okay when it's not going to be. No, it's going to be okay. It really is. We need peace when we have what? When we have conflict, when we have tension. We need peace when we have, on a bigger scale, when we have war. And the reality is, there's been a long war between us as human beings and God. Right? The New Testament tells us and describes us as being in an enemy state or enemy status. So here, we're God's enemies. Uh, Psalm 7 says that God is righteous and He has indignation, anger with the unrighteous every day. So whether we know it or not, we're just, you know, whistling in the dark or whatever. The reality is, when you pull back the reality curtain, Old Testament, New Testament, there's conflict with God. God is not okay with you and you're not okay with God. And there is therefore tension, conflict, war. And so what do we have? We have, because of Jesus, because of what he accomplishes, we have peace be with you. In a way that's beyond mere, hi, how you doing today? There is true peace. We know that there's conflict because we have... Suffering and death, and it's plagued the world since Adam. Even if it's not our own, it's a result of that. We're reminded every day that there's conflict between us and God. And Jesus, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, is our peace. You might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. You don't need to, but I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 18 because it's a great, great, great cross-reference text to what we're seeing. And as you're turning there, even think about what's been happening throughout the Old Testament. Let's talk about the sacrificial system that God graciously gave to the people But what was it a reminder of again and again and again and again and again? We read from Hebrews earlier, and Hebrews connects the dots for us again and again and again. It's a reminder that it's not all going to be okay. Death, 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 death. You need atonement, you need atonement, you need atonement, which is satisfaction, which is where forgiveness comes from. God graciously provides, but that we know, even from the book of Hebrews, that Old Testament sacrificial system was never, ever, ever, ever designed to be an end in and of itself. It was pointing toward Christ who is our peace. Who is our shalom. Who is our reconciler because of His work. And here, Jesus, when He says, peace be with you, He could say that like nobody's ever been able to say that or whoever could. Peace with God. Ephesians chapter 2 is super helpful. It deals with peace on a vertical level as well as a horizontal level. But let's go ahead and look at verse 11 where it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So we've got non-Jews and Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, verse 12 says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. If you don't have the covenants of promise, you have no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near. See, we have reconciliation by the blood of Christ. I love verse 14. For He Himself is our So he brings peace, but he brings peace because of who he is and what he did. So he is our peace, who has made us both one, as has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new entity in place of the two, so making peace, so there we have it in in a horizontal level, and might reconcile us both, Jew and non-Jew, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. See, both actually needed the peace. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 so many of you know it so well therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ it's not peace peace where there is no peace that's empty humanly contrived humanly devised religion it's peace peace where there is peace because he is our peace because of what he did it's really extraordinary. And here we can have peace with God by believing in Him. Romans chapter 5. Lots of people don't even know they're at war with God. They don't know enough about God to know that. I love telling people. I love helping people. Hopefully you do too. Peace be with you like you've never ever anticipated before. What does this have to do with our lives? It has everything to do with our lives. Because Jesus solves your greatest problem. Everyone in this room has problems. Some bigger than others. Some of your problems are going to go away. Some are going to get worse. Notice I'm not telling you peace, peace, where there is no peace. (laughs) But our greatest problem is God... And the problem is dealt with through Jesus who brings us peace. It's extraordinary. And what we need most. The basis for our assurance and confidence in life no matter what we face, no matter what problems we have. Now we move on for the second time he's going to say it. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Same thing, means the same thing, but he's going to apply it in a little bit different way. Peace be with you. Let's keep going. Verse 21 says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So think about that. So here, this is awesome. This is a great reality in Jesus, and we're united to God, and we're reconciled to God. And then, I'm also going to be sending you. And what a big deal it is when Jesus says, As I was sent... Big deal, huge big deal, right? As I was sent, I'm going to send you. So whatever he means by this, it's a big deal because what was Jesus sent into this world to do? John chapter 1, we learn Jesus was sent into this world in part to be light and darkness. Jesus was sent into this world in part to truly interpret God to people because people don't know who God is apart from Jesus truly interpreting God to them. No one has seen God. John chapter 1. And Jesus came to explain him, to interpret him, so that we can know who God is. So Jesus was sent into the world light and darkness to explain God to people because people don't otherwise know God. Then he was also sent into the world that he's going to become our peace, obviously, and we're not going to become that. He, He came telling people, eternal life, the way to have eternal life, Jesus would say, is to believe in me, to trust in me, to rest in my work that I'm doing and will do on your behalf. He came proclaiming the message of eternal life. And we could say more, I know. We know it's a big, huge deal for him to be sent. And so we should see now that the disciples are going to be sent. And then eventually we're actually told that we're to be sent... So I might bleed into they and we kind of thing and you you understand I hope in light of Matthew 28. But they're being sent is a big deal. They're not going to be the object of faith, right? They're not going to be sent into the world to save sinners because Jesus did that. But they're going to go and they're going to proclaim that same message. That's That's what we're about ready to see. They're sent in a like way. How about verse 22? This is, this is amazing. Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's amazing because it reinforces what we've been learning about Jesus. That's amazing because th- th- that's the kind of thing God does. That's right. It's the kind of thing God does. That just reinforces what we've been learning about Jesus, that Jesus isn't a mere human being. So if you think back to Genesis and God breathing into the creation and therefore giving Him life, empowerment, the illusion is back to that. Jesus has ultimate, unique, extraordinary God power. And so they're going to be empowered to go and proclaim this message in a similar way that Jesus was, even by the power of the Spirit, if you remember at the beginning of His ministry, Empowered by the Spirit. It also reinforces John 14 and John 16 because Jesus was going to leave, but He was not going to leave believers alone. He was going to give His Spirit to empower them and to help them and to guide them. And then, how about verse 23? Here's what He's going to do. Holy Spirit enablement, empowerment, sending, special blessing. You're going to need my peace. You have my peace. You're sent with my authority. Then verse 23, because here's what you're going to be doing. Fasten your seatbelts for this. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's a huge big deal. That's what I want to say, say what? For a little levity, that's a great verse to take out of context if you'd like to start a cult. I don't recommend it. It's been done before. (laughs) Don't recommend it. It reminds me of that, that, that creepy creeper guy in Schindler's List. And he says, I pardon you. Remember that? Maybe not. I'll try it again. I pardon you. And you just think, what a creep. Power monger, self-consumed, power over life and death. Gone to his head grotesque and disgusting. Don't recommend it. Who has the power to forgive sin? Well, based upon what we've learned from Jesus, He does. But they wanted to kill Him for saying that. Because in a very purest, um, 30,000 foot level, just thinking biblically, who has the power to forgive sin? God and God alone. Only God can forgive sins. For example, Luke chapter 5 verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And They're right in asking the question, based upon Jesus' response, they're right in asking the question, only God can forgive sins. And then it goes on to say, in Luke chapter 5, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So we could say, well, whatever verse 23 means, it can't mean something different. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is the God-man. He forgave sins. Sins while he was on earth. And so, what's this business about Jesus then commissioning his followers that they can forgive sins? Well, the business is they're commissioned with proclaiming the good news about Jesus because in Jesus and only in Jesus can you have forgiveness of sins. It's via proclamation it's not via their inherent power this is a servant kind of thing that they're doing they're proclaiming another but make no mistake about it jesus is where you go to get forgiveness i mean this is this is take us back to like john 14:6 i know it's not a politically correct verse that's why i use it i, I don't really mean that uh, john 14:6 jesus says i am the way and the truth and the life and no one there's the negative side comes to the father but by me. That fits with what's happening here when Jesus says, I'm going to commission you and you have the power to forgive and you have the power to withhold forgiveness. Guess what? They're proclaiming Christ. And while I can't stand here and say, I pardon you, as disgusting as that would be, and it would be. In fact, I'm using that on purpose today. So when you hear people say things like that, you think about that grotesque person. But I can, and I do have the power, and you have the power too, by the way, to tell people, believe on the Lord Jesus. This is Acts 16. And what? And you will be saved. That's, that's power. That's the right kind of power. That's not pat power. That's the, that's, how about to quote Romans chapter 1 verse 16? That's the power of God unto salvation, which Romans 1 16 says, says, is the gospel. And I can also tell people, if you don't believe in Jesus, there's no hope for you. That's powerful. That's not pat power. But that's real power. We have a ministry of proclamation. They have a ministry of proclamation. This fleshes itself out in the book of Acts. Uh, maybe not even there. How about John chapter 3, verse 18? Same kind of thing. Whoever, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Same kind of reality. This is not Roman Catholic absolution, ego te absolvo. And now I'm going to give you works of penance to do. This is not it at all. This is the power to forgive via the gospel is where it's found. But in the book of Acts, it flushes itself out when we hear words like this. Acts 10.43 To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Acts 13.38 Let it be known to you therefore This is a powerful message, a powerful preacher. Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Not te absolvo, or whatever the Latin is, I forgot. But it's true forgiveness, the power for people's sins to be forgiven. But the disciples would proclaim the good news, and that's where the forgiveness was found. So here's what we don't want to do. What we don't want to do is wrench it out of its context, out of its natural habitat, I like to say. We don't want to do that and be abusive. And, and, and do cultic things. But in light, in light of all of John, what we've been hearing, in light of then the, the, the the apostolic witness in the book of Acts, what we do want to do is say, this is a huge big deal. Okay. It's not this, but it's not nothing for a double negative. It's extraordinary. It's a huge big deal to the point where Jesus says, you're going to, you, you have my peace in doing this. And you're going to need supernatural, divine enablement to do this. And there's something about... How about this? There's something about what you're going to do that's an awful lot like what the Father did with me. That that, That's extraordinary. That's a big deal. Forgiveness of sins. That is a big deal. It's a huge big deal. And by the way, when you tell someone the gospel... That's a big deal. Because that message has the power to bring forgiveness. Not via your manipulation, because you're a good salesperson. (laughs) But faith comes by hearing, Romans chapter 10, and hearing the word of Christ. It's a huge big deal. It's it's an exceptionally big deal. It's an amazing thing. It's it's pretty interesting too that, that they're not like, off to some kind of school to be trained in how to do this. I mean, they've been with Jesus and they've been hearing about eternal life. And how does eternal life happen? Eternal life, which, by the way, is a partner to forgiveness, right? You you can't have eternal life apart, apart from forgiveness. And John's been all about eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. He's going to do it in chapter 20 as well. And eternal life comes by believing in Jesus. And they've had it hammered in their mind and hammered in their mind. they heard it again and again and again in different kinds of contexts, in different kinds of settings, just like you have if you've been with us on this journey through John's Gospel. And now they need the Holy Spirit's enablement. They need to know, because they are going to face conflict. They go with the peace of Jesus. But they're off and running. I I want to encourage you with that. You've heard enough about Jesus. You know enough about Jesus if you've been here just this morning that you could tell other people that the way to be forgiven is to believe in Jesus. The way to be saved is to believe in Jesus. The way to eternal life is to believe in Jesus. Yeah. It's exciting. I want to be like Jesus. All right. Easy enough. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. How do I pursue Christ-likeness? Well, start by knowing who Jesus is, what He promised, and start telling other people about it. As I was sent, Jesus says, so I send you. Yeah, but don't I have to take a special class at Bible college and learn a special kind of technique? Because I've never really sold anything before. (laughs) No! No! exciting if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them if you withhold forgiveness from any it is withheld that's real power it's not inherent power but it's real power let's move on to, to verse 24 Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And I don't know about you, but I want to go, never? That's a pretty pretty strong statement. I will never believe. But once again, think, 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 Real crucifixion. And whether he was looking at it from far away or up close or wherever, he was looking and Jesus was really crucified. Isaiah the prophet says, marred more than any man. So he's beaten and then he's beaten another time to the point where it's debilitating. Some people died from that. And then he's crucified and to make sure he's good and dead, they stick a spear in his side. And Thomas could see with his own eyes Jesus was dead. Jesus was as dead as you could be. And until I see, till I have my senses involved, until I see empirical evidence, I will never believe. And I don't recommend talking like Thomas. But I recommend that you appreciate this guy here, because there's there's a certain good apologetic involved, a, a good defense of the faith. He knew that he was dead. He knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that he was dead. Eyewitness testimony that he was dead. And until I see him, I'm not believing. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful he's in the Bible and he did this. I'm going to have a better place in heaven than he is because I would never say things. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not trying to glorify his, his actions, but I am saying we, we benefit. We definitely benefit. One person put it in their own words, trying to elaborate. Thanks for your testimony. I can see you're excited with what you think you've seen, but I must see for myself the only thing that will satisfy me is irrefutable empirical evidence. Unless I see him, hear him, touch him, I will not believe in him. Probably captures the idea. Then how about verse 26? Eight days later. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood. Again, I I, I like drawing attention to that. He saw that he was dead, and now he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Whether Thomas did it or not, I don't know. Not that he couldn't have done it, but that's not recorded. What is recorded is verse 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. I've seen enough. And then what do we have? Not that this is the only statement, but now we have one of the most extraordinary statements regarding the deity of Jesus. My Lord and my God. My Yahweh and my God. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. As one person said, this is the highest confession of faith in Jesus that we read anywhere in Scripture. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's definitely a good one. 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And John's going somewhere with that. We're going to end on this in just a moment. But now he's talking about people who weren't eyewitnesses. By application, he's talking about people like us. But time out just for a second. Please don't read that to mean what it's not intended to mean. Jesus is not saying, Blessed blessed are the people who come to believe in me based upon nothing. And based upon no evidences whatsoever, who just take a blind leap of faith. That doesn't fit the narrative. Because there's all this eyewitness testimony. Credible eyewitness testimony. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because I closed my eyes and said, Don't confuse me with the facts, I know what I am supposed to believe. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ by God's grace first and foremost and by the power of the Spirit. I, 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 I hear you. I, I, but because of eyewitness testimony. Including Thomas's. By, by the way, how many of you believe that George Washington was the first president? I think most of you do. How many of you have seen him? How many of you have seen a video of him? How many of you have seen a photograph of him? Nobody in this room. We didn't have photographs. I tricked my kids too on the way to church. <sighs> but you believe he was our first president because of credible eyewitness testimony. Testimony. History. I was about ready to say, and no one thinks you're an idiot for believing he's the first president, but I'm sure somebody does. (laughs) Welcome to (laughs) postmodernism. But you get the idea. We believe in Jesus for eternal life. We believe in him not only as a historic figure, but we must believe in him as a historic figure but the resurrected historic figure. The one who has power over sin and death and the power to give life. And we have a far better testimony. We have God's inerrant, better than George Washington testimony. Revelation. Okay, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. See? In the presence of the disciples, eyewitness testimony. That actually is significant and it's part of his argument. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But see, there were a lot that were written in the book. 31. But these are written so that you... I love this. It's so interesting. John's writing later, not just for his little group, so that you, my readership, who will read this after the fact, so that you may believe... See, testimony so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you, this is personal, this goes beyond, this connects history to theology, believing you may have life in his name. I love that. We always want application in the Bible, and, and we look for it all over the place, typically in the wrong places. We want the Daniel diet, you know, or whatever it is. you want to, never mind. But you're in the Bible so that you would believe in Jesus and have your greatest need met. And your greatest need is not your waistline. Your greatest need is life eternal so that you would trust in Jesus. That's what belief means. Really is really, 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 really astounding and clear and I can tell you with power that if you believe in Jesus and by the way it's a command to believe in Jesus Acts 13 believe in Jesus and you will be saved you will be forgiven you will be reconciled to God no more animosity eternal life secured and I can tell you with power that if you don't believe in Jesus you're going to get what you deserve And you deserve condemnation because you've never loved God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and neighbor as yourself a moment in your life. No one has. Condemnation. Terrible. Reconciliation. Fantastic. Extraordinary. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And then go tell somebody else and see the work of God in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was born so that he might do this, so that he might give eternal life, so that he would live a perfect life in place of everyone who would ever believe in him. And that he would fulfill your law of loving God and loving neighbor. That he would then voluntarily go to the cross and be crucified and bear your condemnation though he didn't deserve it on behalf of everyone who would ever believe and that he was raised from the dead victoriously on behalf of everyone who would ever believe and he has ascended and he is interceding for us even now at the right hand your right hand And we are grateful for Jesus and we are grateful for forgiveness and we are grateful for the privilege that each of us who are believers have and that is to tell other people the good news about salvation in him May we never think that somehow we are powerful, but may we know that because we have the gospel coming from our lips, we are proclaiming something extraordinarily powerful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.